Hello, ladies. Hello. It is wonderful to see all of you here today. Thank you so much for coming. I am Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is a joy to be here with all of you studying God's Word together. Today we're going to look at the amazing structure of the tabernacle, the holy tent where God lived among his people. And the tabernacle was a tent. It was not a permanent building, but a tent that could be taken down and moved across the wilderness so God could travel with his people, the Israelites, who also lived in tents. Now, we've been talking about the tabernacle. We've said it's had two rooms. We've uh, looked at the first room. The smaller one was the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies uh, was the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat covering it. And that is where the presence of God dwelt. This was the heart of the tabernacle. And then last week, we looked at the second room in the tabernacle, the holy place. And it had the golden lampstand in it, and it had the table of showbread. And to the Israelites, the golden lampstand symbolized God's watchfulness and direction over them. And it also pointed to Jesus, the light of the world. And then the table of showbread symbolized God's fellowship and provision for the Israelites. And it pointed to Jesus as the bread of life. And today we are going to look at how this tabernacle tent was made so that it could be dismantled when the Israelites moved. And then when they camped, it would be put back up again. God always in their midst. Now, many of us have been camping. We have actually probably slept. In fact, how many of you have actually slept in a tent out camping? So, yeah, quite a few of us. We are familiar with tents. But the tent that I am most familiar with these days looks like this. This is my daughter, um, Finley. My grandkids, when they come to my house, they love to pull out all of my blankets and drape it over the couch and the dining room chairs and the table. And there's a bench there. And they make a tent. And then they go inside it. And this is Finley. She's made this one. And it's a lot like the tabernacle in that it has a blanket on the inside hanging down, a baby blanket, because she wanted two rooms. One for her sister Harper on the other side of the tent, one for her. And they take snacks in there, so there's bread, and they have a light. You can kind of see it there. It's a battery-operated little uh, night light that looks like a moon. The truth is, and every time they put it together, it's a different design because they have the same blankets, but they're all put out, spread, draped over in a different way. So it's not really anything like the tabernacle. Nothing like the tabernacle because it has no structural integrity. If you threw a marble on it, it would come crashing down. And the design differs every time. God's tabernacle, his home on earth, had beautiful, detailed design. And it was structurally very strong. During my study of the uh, tabernacle, I came across Psalm 96, and it's very beautiful. And I want to read a few verses. It's on your verse sheet. It says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So today, as we look at the um, structure of the tabernacle, we are going to keep these characteristics in mind. Splendor, majesty, strength, 
and beauty because these are characteristics also of the Lord God. The tabernacle refers and reveals the Lord. So let's turn to Exodus 26, and we're going to begin with verse 30 because I think this is a very important verse. Uh, we've already seen something very similar to it twice before in Exodus 25, verse 9, and in verse 40. So um, turn to 26, and let's look at verse 30, and it says, Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Build it according to the plan, Moses. This is God speaking to Moses. Build it like the pattern, the blueprint. And the blueprint contained many, many details. We've seen many details over the last couple weeks, and it looked like there were a ton of details in this chapter 26. But over all the details of God's instruction, there is design. There is beautiful design. God showed Moses the unique design on the mountain. And throughout this study of the tabernacle, we see clearly that God does nothing in a haphazard way. God doesn't say, well, if it doesn't fit, just shove it in there or cut it off or, you know, make it work. Uh, and he doesn't say, hey, if you run out of blue, use another color. It's okay. Or, you know, if you can't find that. No, God doesn't work like that. He doesn't just wing it. A wise older woman once told me this. She said, God does nothing without design or purpose or significance or meaning or beauty or relationship to himself and to others. God has a plan and a purpose in all that he does. And the design and the details of the tabernacle had purpose. Jesus, we've said he was the tabernacle in the New Testament. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus came to earth, he had purpose. Um, one of them, we see, is to reveal the Father. And you see that on your verse sheet, John 14. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, and he says in verse 9, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. A second purpose Jesus had when he came to earth was to uh, be our perfect sin sacrifice. And we read that in Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we read all these details and we talk about the design of the tabernacle, you can know for sure, without a doubt, that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And we read that in Jeremiah on your verse sheet, 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan and a purpose for all of us. And so as we read all these details today and in the weeks to come and we talk about the design of the tabernacle, know for sure that God has a plan and a purpose for you. We can trust God with our lives. So let's go on now. I'm going to look at the strength of the tabernacle, the structural integrity, and we see that best beginning in verse 15. So look at verse 15 in chapter 26. It says, you shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. And there shall be two tenions in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. 
You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side, and 40 bases of silver you shall make under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenions, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenions. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, do we see it again, 20 frames, 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, two bases under the next frame. Okay, that sounds uh, confusing, and I don't know about you the first time you read it, but I was very confused, and I've read it now about probably 1,000 times, seriously. Um, it's taken me that long to try to picture it, put it together, and see what it's talking about. So let's talk about it for a minute, and let's begin by reminding ourselves that the tabernacle was a rectangle. It faced the east, and that was a short side. And then the north and the south sides were long with the short rear west side. Okay, so these long sides, the north and the south, they were to have 20 frames or 20 boards, and they were to be 15 feet long, which would be 15 feet high. That's high. And each board was to be two and a fourth feet wide, and that would be about 27 inches. We're saying that a cubit is one and a half feet. So when you multiply that out, 27 inches. And we don't know how thick it was. Some think maybe it was about three inches thick. But what it tells us here that it was made out of acacia wood. Um, and acacia wood, we learned all about that last week. Benita told us how it was strong and it was durable. And uh, insects didn't like to bore into it, so it was pretty water resistant. And it was very plentiful in the area where the Israelites were encamped. And the acacia, oh, and I have one. I brought visual aids today. We can look at that later. Acacia wood, beautiful, strong, durable. And uh, the acacia wood symbolized the humanity of Jesus. And we're going to read in a few minutes how it was overlaid, each board, with gold. And that would have represented and symbolized the deity of Jesus. So each plank, these wide, tall planks at the bottom, had two projections coming out. Those are called tenions. Think of them like two pegs. And so each plank had two silver bases, one silver base under this one projection, and then the other silver base under the second projection. So one plank, two little pegs coming out of the bottom, two silver bases that it fit into. And the silver bases would have been a very strong foundation for whatever ground they were placed on as they crossed the wilderness. Whatever ground they were placed on, the bases gave stability and they gave strength. Then in verse 22, we're going to see directions for the backside. It says, and for the rear of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six frames. And you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear. They shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them. And they shall form the two corners. And there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame and two bases under another. Okay, so I didn't really get this very well either, except that I know that it's a short side, so there's six frames with two more for the corners to give it strength. Now, I don't know exactly how that looked. I've seen many pictures, but suffice it to say, those boards were the same width, the same height. They had projections, and they each had two silver bases. So we have eight boards at the back. That would be 16 silver bases. We add that to the 40 on one side, the 40 on the south side. That's 80 plus 16. So we're up to 96 silver 
bases for this foundation here. That seems like a lot of silver, a lot of silver. And for additional strength and stability, verse 26 tells us this. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar, halfway up the frame, shall run from end to end, and you shall overlay the frames with gold, and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars, and you shall overlay the bars with gold. So here we now have rods or crossbars, acacia wood bars overlaid with gold, and they would run horizontally through rings that were placed on each of the wood planks. And there would be several of these gold rings. And I have a picture we can put up. There it is. And you see these um, crossbars going across. Now, we don't know exactly how those were placed. Um, this one has the middle bar going straight across in the inside of the tabernacle. And that makes sense to me. That looks like a good way to do it so that they would um, get extra strength and stability you would have one crossbar or maybe more in the inside and then you'd have some on the outside you can see how they would give structure and strength to um, the boards now I have another picture this is one Okay, here's another. Some people think that those boards were like lattice work, that you could kind of see through some of them, that they weren't totally solid. And so that's what we see in this picture. Um, there's lots of different thoughts and interpretations. We don't know for sure. Um, also make a um, little note there of the veil, and then you also see the four layers of curtains that we're going to talk about in a second. So you see these boards and bases of silver uh, with these crossbars, wood... Um, give great strength to this structure. And they could pretty easily uh, be taken down, take out the crossbars, take the boards out of the bases, load it all up on a cart, go across the desert. So it was strong and it could easily be dismantled. So as we think about the structure of the tabernacle pointing to Jesus, let's think about the strength of Jesus. And I have on your verse sheet a few verses First is Philippians 4.13. This is Paul, and he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's Jesus who strengthens him. And then in 1 Peter 2.6, Peter tells us this. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture, and it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, will not be put to shame. Now, a cornerstone is the support on which the rest of the building rests for strength and for stability. It was the silver bases. Jesus is our silver base. He is our strong foundation. He is our strength. And Jesus himself tells us this in Matthew 7, 24. Now, this is right after Jesus had um, given the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rest of that little parable goes on to say that the foolish man is the one who listens to Jesus' words but does not follow him. And so he's like a foolish man that builds his house on sand. And when the rains come and the floods come, the house falls down. Jesus, he is our foundation. His word 
he's the rock. It gives us strength. It kind of reminds me of a song that we used to sing when I was growing up in church, and we sing it sometimes here, but it says, On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is our strong foundation, and we need to stand firm on his word. A couple weeks ago, I was leaving the West Campus Women in the Word, and I had taken Harper, my little three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, and she'd been in the children's area. And so when we get in the car and we're driving home, I hear her singing in the back seat, and she's singing, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Now, I don't know exactly um, how much of that she's taken in, but I love it that it's in her heart and it's in her mind because That's what I want to think about every day. The Bible, the words of Jesus is our strong foundation. We want to stand firm on his word. So now let's go on and look. We have the walls up. Let's look at the curtains and the coverings that made the ceiling uh, and the roof. Now there were four layers. They were draped over the tabernacle. And the first inner uh, layer, it's the first curtain, it gives great beauty to the tabernacle. And I love talking about this part because often we add curtains to the um, rooms in our homes to add beauty and to add warmth. God is a God of beauty. Within his details and design, we find beauty, great beauty. So let's go back to verse 1 now of chapter 26 and read about these curtains. It says, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another and then the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And then you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Same thing. Loops of blue on the second set. There's going to be 50 loops on each set. And then it says that these 50 loops will be um, clasped together, verse 6, with 50 clasps of gold. So that when you clasp it together um, for the tabernacle, it would be a single hole. A single hole. So this beautiful woven embroidered curtain um, is what they are talking about here. The first layer uh, over this framework in the tabernacle. And we're going to see these colors mentioned again as we look at this today. And uh, they're always in the same order. You know, you talk about the fine linen and then you have blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Blue, purple, and scarlet. Always in that order. Now, there's different thoughts on what these colors could represent. You know, I think a lot of us would think of blue as heaven comes to mind. For me, purple kind of makes you think of royalty. Scarlet, blood. It could be the lifeblood that flows through us, or it could be shed blood, as in a sacrifice. And the white linen would be purity, holiness, righteousness. And then we see cherubim worked into the fabric. Now, cherubim, we talked about two uh, weeks ago. These, we first see these angels guarding the way to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And then Lynn also told us about the two 
gold cherubim that were on the mercy seat with their wings outstretched, covering it. And now we read that cherubim are going to be worked um, skillfully. That would be artistically and beautifully into this fabric. Cherubim in the Bible are always associated with God's presence and God's majestic glory. So they would make 10 panels of these curtains, and they would sew five together, join five together, and then they would take five and join them together. And then these two big pieces would have 50 blue loops on the outer edges, and they would, those would be joined tightly together with clasps of gold. So it was one single curtain that was draped over the tabernacle. It would go across the top as a ceiling and then down the sides. And I picture this curtain with lots of blue, maybe because of those blue loops on the edges. Lots of blue with streaks of purple and scarlet, like a sunrise or a sunset in the sky. And then many, many cherubim woven all over this curtain. And as the priests walked into the tabernacle, it would seem like they had walked into heaven. And they had, because the tabernacle was a piece of heaven on earth. How beautiful that would have been. How beautiful. Verse 7 then tells us about the next layer of curtain. And it says, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. And the eleven curtains shall be the same size. And you'll put five curtains together and then it says six curtains together. And the sixth curtain, this is a little different here, it will loop over the outermost um, edge of the tabernacle, over the, double over at the front of the tent. And then it says you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtains that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge that is outermost in the second set. And you shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put these clasps into the loops so that this would also be one whole uh, curtain. Okay, so a couple differences. First of all, this second curtain was made of goat's hair. Now, some think that it was a fine, silky, white, angora goat's hair. Others think it was the coarse, black and white goat's hair, and we don't know. So you can picture it like you like. Um, but we do know from the instructions that there's 11 panels. So there's an extra panel, and that would be doubled over at the front of the tabernacle. So you see that this... Um, goat's hair is going to completely cover that inner uh, curtain that we see. And it's going to go down farther on the edges because it is um, three uh, cubits more. So that would be, I mean, uh, uh-oh, I lost my track here. So it's going to be 30. So it's two cubits more, which is three feet. So you've got one and a half feet going down on one side, one and a half on the other, probably touching the ground, most people think. It's touching the ground. That inner first layer was not touching the ground. So it's a little longer. The other thing we notice is that it's going to be clasped together through those loops with bronze clasps. Now, this um, bronze is a metal that's a mixed metal. Um, silver and gold are pure metals, and we see silver and gold inside the tabernacle. But this is one layer removed from the inside, and so we have the bronze clasps here. The beautiful inner curtain had gold clasps. 
The goat here may have also symbolized separation from sin because the male goats would be the sacrifice offered as a sin offering. Then in verse 14, we see the other two coverings. It says, and you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skin and a covering of goat skin on top. So these last two layers, did you notice? They're called coverings, not curtains. And this third layer was tanned ramskins, or your translation might have said ramskins dyed red. And this ramskin could also represent a blood sacrifice necessary to be in a relationship with God. And this fourth covering, this would be the outer roof of the tabernacle. It was a leather-like animal skin. Now, in the ESV translation, it says goat skins, but many commentaries that I've read think that it was actually an aquatic mammal, such as um, seal skin or porpoise skin, or even the hide of sea cows. Now, I think sea cows make sense to me. Sea cows, we call them manatees in Florida. Um, They are a very large mammal that lives in the ocean, and they eat plants They're slow moving, and they were very plentiful in the nearby Red Sea. And I read that even today in the Middle East, they make sandals out of the leather of sea cow hide. So this sea cow hide would have been uh, durable, and it also would have given good protection from the elements as it covered over the tabernacle. It went over the top down the sides, and then it was pegged to the ground. Now, you can read about the pegs. I'm not going to turn there, but you can write on your outline Exodus 38, 31. 38, 31 talks about the pegs for the tabernacle. So at least this top layer, um, for sure, was pegged to the ground. Now, from the outside, the tabernacle may have looked pretty plain, except for the doorway, the entrance. And so let's look at that in verses 36 and 37. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. So here we have this beautiful entrance into the tabernacle. And it's called a screen. And once again, we see that it's woven fine linen, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. But it doesn't say anything about cherubim. So I personally think there were not cherubim on this fabric. I think the cherubim were seen inside the tabernacle. But others think there might have been cherubim on it. And so sometimes you'll see pictures with it um, pictured like that. So you can... Think of it as you will. I don't see cherubim on that outside entrance, but it was beautiful. And it would hang from five acacia wood pillars that were overlaid with gold. They would have been beautiful and strong. Now, the pillars were a different design from the planks, but they would have been very sturdy. But did you see that the the curtain would hang from gold rings? But when you get to the bottom, the bases were bronze. This is looking out into the courtyard, and so the bases would be bronze, not silver. In fact, everything that we're going to see in the weeks to come that's in the courtyard is made of bronze. So there was beauty in the design of the tabernacle because God is a God of beauty. Beauty adds to our life, and God made us to appreciate beauty. He made each of us to appreciate beauty. 
whether it's a beautiful sunset or a beautiful flower in your garden or maybe a newborn baby or the laughter of a young child. Maybe it's an art picture. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's the clean lines or the symmetrical lines of furniture or a home. We appreciate beauty. So look for the beauty of the Lord in your life and all around you. God's beauty is all around us. And now we come to that last part of the tabernacle structure, the splendid veil that served as an inner wall in the tabernacle, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And we're going to read about that, verse 31, chapter 26. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. Okay, so we see that this uh, splendid veil separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies, and this veil was a large, solid tapestry. Once again, it's woven with blue, purple, scarlet thread. It had fine twine linen, and this veil has cherubim skillfully, artistically and beautifully woven into the tavern tapestry. You know, I sometimes wonder, did it look like the ceiling curtain that was above them but I think probably it was a little different sometimes you see this veil with only uh, four cherubim or even just two cherubim kind of echoing those that were behind it on the mercy seat sometimes um, there's more than that but we want to remember the cherubim highlight the glory and the majesty of God Today, we have um, a beautiful uh, tapestry veil here, and it was woven by Vicki McIntyre. She is one of the small group leaders. She's been a small group leader for many years, and this is how she pictures the veil in the tabernacle. It's beautiful. It represents three years of work, and we can put a picture up there again. And I want to thank you um, for sharing this with us today. The veil hung from gold rings on four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And these pillars were in silver bases because we're inside the tabernacle. Now Warren Wearsby in his book of Exodus says this. It's pretty an interesting thought that some scholars see a parallel between the four pillars that hold this veil of four colors with the four gospels in the New Testament. They see a parallel there. So Matthew would be represented by purple, the purple color, for royalty. Because the gospel of Matthew talks about Jesus as the king. He is the king of kings. The gospel of Mark emphasized Jesus, the suffering servant. So scarlet, the color of sacrifice, reminds us of Mark. White, the perfect son of man, is the gospel of Luke. And then the blue points to heaven and the gospel of John, who emphasizes the deity of Jesus, God the Son, coming from heaven to earth to die for our sins. That's just a thought, throwing it out there to you. I thought it was kind of interesting to think about. 
So in front of the veil, as you walk into the tabernacle, um, is the holy place. And we talked about that last week. Uh, As you walk in, on the left or the south side would have been the golden lampstand. On the right or the north sides, the table of showbread. And then right in front of the veil would be the altar of incense. And we're going to study that and talk about that next week. And then behind the veil was the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. And above that was the splendid, majestic presence of God. Awesome. Awesome. This beautiful, splendid veil was a barrier between God and man. It was a protective barrier because sinful man would die if he just stumbled into the presence of holy God. In fact, Lynn told us last week that the high priest would go in once a year with the blood from sacrifices and sprinkle it on the mercy seat to make right the people with God to make atonement for them. But first, the high priest had to make atonement for himself before he entered. And then he would enter by going around the edge of the veil because it was one big piece. There was no middle um, separation in it. So he would go around the edge of it. It was solid, splendid, majestic tapestry. Later, when King Solomon built the temple, it followed, in many ways, this same pattern of the tabernacle. And there was a thick veil in the temple, and it was in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And once again, this was a barrier between man and God. And then a very interesting, amazing thing happens when Jesus dies on the cross. And we read that. One place we read it is in Matthew 7, verse 24 on your verse sheet says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. So Jesus, on the cross, shouts out, it is finished. And then he prays to the Lord, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. And at the very moment that Jesus dies on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, it says. Okay, now no human hands could do that. This was a thick veil, and it was 15 feet high. Even with the tall ladder, man could not tear this veil in two. So it would seem as if God the Father himself tore it in two pieces. And what does the author of Hebrews tell us about this? Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain... That is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Jesus, do you see that? Is the veil in the temple. And with his death, the shedding of blood from his torn body, the veil is torn completely in two. There's no barrier No barrier. And when we trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, we have free access into the presence of God. Free access, no barrier. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice once and forever and for all 
who believe and trust in him. The veil, the barrier between God and man is gone. Jesus is the torn veil. His perfect sacrifice made a relationship with God possible for you and for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So now we come to the end of the instructions that God gave to Moses concerning the structure of the tabernacle. And I want to turn just quickly and just look at a few verses in um, chapter 36. So just turn over to that. We're going to look at verse 8. And here is where we read the workmen following the blueprint exactly, just as the Lord commanded. In verse 8 we read, And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with tin curtains. They were made of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. And here's the length, and it's just exactly like what we read in chapter 26. And then we go down and we see um, it talking about the frames, and there would be 20 frames on one side and 20 frames on the next. And then we look down to 31, and it said he made bars of acacia wood, five on one side, five on the other, and five in the back. This is all exactly like what we just read, even the veil and the entrance to the tabernacle, exactly um, as the Lord had, com had commanded. And so picture yourself standing in front of the tabernacle, the hides of the sea cows going across and down and pegged to the ground it might look sort of plain, but there would be the beautiful woven door to the tabernacle with the strong gold pillars in the bases of bronze. And as you walk through the door, you behold the beauty and the splendor and the majesty inside the tabernacle. The blue, purple, and red ceiling above you filled with cherubim. And it looks like you have stepped in to heaven. Like you have stepped in to heaven. Gold furnishings around you. The splendid majestic veil in front of you, 15 feet tall. Hanging down with the blue, purple, and scarlet. More cherubim woven on it. Guarding, highlighting the glorious presence of God behind the veil, what would you do? One day, we are going to see the tabernacle in heaven. What will you do? You know, I think just like the song says, do you fall down on your knees praising and worshiping the Lord? Or maybe you just shout out glory. That's what I want to do when I get to heaven. I want to shout out glory, glory. But ladies, as we close today, I want to make sure you get this one truth. The God of the tabernacle is the same God today. He is majestic. He is splendid. He is strong. He loves us. He wants an intimate relationship with us. And he is holy, gloriously, majestically, dangerously holy. And Jesus has made a way for us to be in relationship with him. By trusting in Jesus and his perfect sacrifice, we can draw near to him. I want to close by reading the next few verses that were in uh, Psalm 96. I just have verse 9 on your verse sheet, but let me start with verse 7. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord. That's praise the Lord. The glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord. In the splendor of holiness, tremble before him, all the earth. As you consider the tabernacle this week, ladies, worship the Lord 
praise his holy name and draw near to him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are. You are glorious. You are majestic. You are awesome. You're a God of beauty and strength, and you love us so very much. Father, I thank you for the tabernacle and how it reveals you. I thank you how it points to Jesus and his great sacrifice on the cross, Father. I just pray, Lord, that as we think about this, as we continue to study this, Lord, that we would worship you, for you are worthy of worship, that we would praise your holy name. Draw us near to you, Father. Bless each one in this room right now. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.